ground that coat that he had forsaken with her. And the servants then backed her up whenever the master came. She saved it for him. Why? Well, just the same reason that the brothers saved the coat and took it back to the father. So that it would validate the story. It looks like the truth, even though it's not. And she says, see this coat? He left it here while he was trying to now attack me. And it says, if you're following along, it's down and around verse 19. That when she told him this story, that the anger inside was kindled. He got red-faced. That's what the word for kindled means. He started boiling over with an emotion. The word for anger. See, the Hebrew language is beautiful. It's a very descriptive, pictorial language. And the word for anger is af. And af, A-P-H, means nostrils. And you say, how does nostrils affect anger? Have you ever seen somebody get really angry when something happens? What do they do? They flare their nostrils. And that pictorial graphic language of that soon became the word for anger. Let me ask you something. Do you think straight when you're angry? Remember, this man is chief of homeland security. What do you do whenever there's a charge brought against somebody? You investigate. You ask questions. You try to figure out what's truth, right? But you don't think straight when you're angry, when your nostrils flare out. So now, all of that is blanked out. He is not going to perform an investigation and talk to the servants. What really happened? When did she scream? Did you see him run out whenever she screamed? Let's go to Joseph. He has blessed my house in every way by my association with him. And he has walked in integrity and dignity. Should I not speak to him? But no. He makes a wrong decision. Let me ask you. Have you ever figured out that sometimes one bad decision can Last a lifetime. That's what's going to happen. He didn't stop and think and check his emotions at the door and do what he knew he was supposed to do. But he allows those emotions to run. And he's going to make a bad decision. Because remember Joseph's dream that we started out with. With his uh, brothers, the sheaves that bow down. And then the sun and the moon. And the stars are going to bow down to him. God's word has said that he's going to rule, right? Potiphar, by association, could have moved up to the number two man under Joseph. It would have been, Pharaoh has said, you are in my stead. Nothing happens beside what you say to happen. He could have been right there with him because of his loyalty. But this decision that he is making... This one decision from emotion that he's not going to check is going to cost him everything. Because we're going to see him mentioned one more time, not by name, but by title. 
And after that, he is never heard from again, and his wife is not heard of. So instead of being great, instead of being prosperous, instead of being powerful, this decision by emotion is going to cost him everything. And that's where we begin our story with in verse 19, if you're there. When the master heard the story his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. And instead of interrogation, it says, His master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners are confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, guess what? The Lord was with him. This continues to befuddle me. I would think that I am being cursed, not blessed. I did nothing wrong. I am here. But it says the Lord was with him. And what does it say he was receiving while in prison? The Lord showed him kindness, granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Man, I just can't wrap myself around that. But the warden then... He's following the steps of what Potiphar did and what his father did before that. It says in verse 22, he put him in charge of all of those that were held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden, again, he paid no attention to anything that was under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and he gave him success in everything that he did. Now in chapter 40 and verse 1, sometime later, so Joseph has been in prison for a while now. It's sometime later. The scripture is moving fast forward. It doesn't tell us how far, but it says, A cupbearer and a baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Now I want to explain, just like the captain of the guard, this is not just a cupbearer and a baker. If you look in the next verse, it says Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. That word for official is the word for a prince, a high-ranking leader. So this is the number two and three man where Potiphar was number four. The cupbearer stands beside the Pharaoh through everything. In all of the state dinners, he introduces the people. He takes the first drink out of the bottle so that these officials will be safe. He is the right-hand man. He is number two. The baker is the same thing behind the scenes. So that's the number three man in the kingdom. So number two and number three are now being cast into prison. Why? Because it said there that they offended the, the, uh, the Pharaoh. Offended is the word for sin. So this isn't just they told him that they didn't like his new shoes. This is something severe. What it probably was was an uprising. They were going to have a rebellion. They were going to have a coup. They were going to take over and get rid of him. And wind came up to the Pharaoh... And he turns both of them over to the captain of the guard. You know who that is? Potiphar. Number four man. Because remember back in 39 verse 1. Joseph was sold to Potiphar the captain of the guard. The one that's got Joseph in prison over the people is the warden of the prison. 
But this is specific. So number two and number three are handed over to number four. And number four now takes him to the prison of the king. And guess who's there? Knock, knock. He's expecting the warden. Joseph opens the door. Here I am. What you need? Potiphar looks at him. You know what that was? That was one more reminder. Here is God in grace telling Potiphar, you've been giving these two officials to take and hold until an investigation is done to see who wronged the Pharaoh. So now the one that you should be investigating is answering the door. Ding, ding. Here's clue number one. This is what I should be doing on my own behalf. Just like what the Pharaoh is doing on these other two men. But what does he do? He's small. He's petty. He's still angry. He's got pride. He says, what are you doing answering the door? I'm thinking behind the scenes as you look at what's happened. Because the scripture has already told us that the warden set him over everything. And took no care about anything in the prison. So just like Potiphar was always gone and Joseph took care of his house, the same thing's going now. And he says, like, what are you doing here? The warden has put me over everything, hint, like you used to do because I'm a man of integrity and a man that could bless you instead of be cursed if you would stop and think for a minute. But he doesn't take the clue. He is still lost in that mental attitude of hatred and bitterness and pride And what does he do? Continue reading with me. Verse 3. He put these two officials in the custody of the house of the captain of the guard to the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard, which is Potiphar, and like I said, he's only mentioned in title now and not by name. And this is the last time he will be mentioned because he misses the clue that was given to him. It says, Potiphar then assigned them to Joseph and he attended to them. You know what that means? He got mad and he said, you're answering the door because you're over everything? Nuh-uh, buddy. I am demoting you to be a slave to these two officials. And I will tell that prison warden what is happening. You are no longer over this. You are a servant to them. Because as I researched this, I found out that when you are a high-ranking official, just like our vice president would be number two man right now, if it's guilty or innocent until proven guilty, you don't treat that high-ranking official like a prisoner. You confine him, but you put somebody attending them because of who they are until you find out the truth. That was a rule in Egypt And it will still happen today in our society as well. And so he was demoted now to be a slave to these two officials instead of being over the warden's prison. So he will now, Potiphar, disappear from history because he cannot change the way he thinks. So each of these two men then were placed into Joseph's care as a slave and after that in verse 4 continuing they had been in custody for some time each of these men the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were being held in prison they both had a dream each one of them both had a dream that same night different dreams two dreams two people 
What do they mean? Remember, at this time period, dreams are what? Revelations of the word of God. Until Moses comes along, this isn't even written. That's 400 years from now. But this is the word of God being revealed this time through a couple of unbelievers. And Joseph is going to hear this dream. So God is revealing something to them. And what happens to them? Joseph is released from his shackles that morning, it says. And they bind him overnight usually. That's what happened. I'll share that with you later. It's in Psalm, I think it's Psalm 115 when it talks about Joseph. And it says how badly he was treated in prison. And that's because of Potiphar now being angry and sentencing him to this. It says in Psalm 115 that my servant Joseph was shackled around the neck and around the feet and the wounds that was there because of the harsh treatment that he had. This is no picnic and no cake ride for Joseph. He is being tormented in prison now because of Potiphar's anger. And so he comes to go serve them as he's released that morning like he's normally do. And he notices something, that they are dejected. It's a strong word in the Aramaic that comes from actually boiling over with not only anger, but anxiety, trepidation, because you don't understand what was given to you. This dream is terribly shaking up these two individuals. You know why? Because sometimes unbelievers have a problem with the Word of God. And they can't really understand the interpretation of it. That comes from God and usually through someone that he blesses with the ability to tell them. So Joseph is having a test now. He is in the lowest part of his life. He has been demoted now by no reason of his own to a slave to these two men. And he comes walking in. He sees that they are upset, that they are dejected. Is he going to allow the circumstances that he's going through to affect what he does to them or not? That's what we're about ready to find out. So now, verse 7. He asks why they're so upset. And so he asks the officials who were in the custody with him, Why do you look so sad today? Why are you so boiling over with this dejection? They said in verse 8, we both had dreams and there's no one to interpret those dreams for us. Joseph said then to them, ha, I had a dream one time. Let me tell you about my dream. I saw moon, stars, sun bowing down to me. I'm supposed to be the ruler over my entire clan. But look where that got me. I'm here in prison. Do you see that that's what it says he said to them? He could have, couldn't he? you've got a dream, let me tell you about my dream. That, that word of God stuff's no good for you. It never did me any good. Look where it got me. No, this is the perfect opportunity for him to blow a stack and say, it never worked for me, it's not going to work for you. He could be bitter about what he's going through. But what does your Bible read? Did he do that? No, it says he acted in genuine concern. He cared about these men. And their situation, and even though he's in the same boat as they are, he wanted to help them even when he knew there was no help for himself. He is under such adversity and pressure from his circumstances in life. And you see, every time 
that he would want to dwell upon those things. If we go to the next slide. If he allowed the circumstances of life, the outside pressures of life, the outside decisions that he has made and others have made for him to affect him, he could become mentally incapable of doing anything. If you think about it, look, what his brothers have done, what Potiphar did, what his wife did, I'm in prison. These are all external circumstances and adversity that is affecting him. But he is not allowing that. He is moving on through that. And he could be so upset, he could say, I'm in here, it's in prison. We're going to find out in a minute from the word dungeon that we come across that that word for dungeon means a cistern. So this prison is just like what his brothers cast him into in the wilderness. It's an underground pit. It's a huge pit that's underground. That's what they used to do with Daniel and the lion's den. If you'll remember that they had a rock over the covering and they lowered the people down, the lions were kept underground. Prisons were underground with no means of escape. It's fortified. There's shackles and chains. There's no bathrooms. I mean, this is terrible and the food is awful. And he is there under this kind of circumstances. And still yet, he's acting in compassion and care to these men. He could have allowed his internal spirit to fight against the flesh and the word of God. But he doesn't do that. Joseph has learned some things. He's learned how to rely upon God for the interpretation. That's what he's going to tell these men about their dream. Do not interpretations belong to God. Does not the circumstances of my life, is what he's saying, belong to God. You know what? That's you and I as well. We may not be in a very good spot right now. But interpretations belong to God. If you will walk with him, if you will rely upon him, if you will believe and trust in his word, those interpretations is where you're supposed to be. You wouldn't think that this is where a man of God like Joseph's stature would be, but he is. Do not interpretations belong to God. Look at verse 8. Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. Now that right there is a great victory for Joseph. He is overcoming all of his adversity. He's blocking out all of these things. Ooh, you can't see the words up there. I just turned around and looked. <laughs> but all the things I explained is what those words were supposed to be. I should have used white. But the words were for Potiphar and his wife and the brothers and prison. And then arrows pointing to those things as adversity and outside circumstances. But Joseph in verse 8 said, Interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. And he is now mature enough to handle his things through God and, and know that where he is at in life is right where God wants you to be because he's going to turn your mess into a masterpiece. He has promised you that. I will be able to work all things, good or bad, for good in your life if you will allow me to. And he's about ready to work a masterpiece with Joseph from the mess in prison. God said it. It's true. And we can rely upon that. So now, he doesn't have anger. He doesn't have these mental things that blocked men like Potiphar from their decisions. 
He has put all that aside and he is a stable person for such a young man. So then, these same inner resources that strengthen him to be able to carry on and do this, we have today, and yea, so much more than that. Philippians chapter 4. I want you to mentally mark that down and check it out. We're going to put it up on the board here. It has great truths from two different sections here that are so applicable to you and I today. I want you to listen first to Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Listen to the promises of God for your life. Rejoice in the Lord always, always. And I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. Now we get to verse 6 that's up here. Do not be anxious about anything. Really? Yeah. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, whether you're in prison, whether you're falsely accused, whether you're going through what Joseph is or worse, in every situation, if it's you take it by prayer and petition with, man, again, how do I get over this? With thanksgiving. In every situation, I am supposed to be thankful and give it to God in thanksgiving and trusting in Him. And then what happens? Present your request to God. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will, I have underlined that word, will. That is a promise. The peace of God will guard your heart and your mind, your thinking, in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, this is the little picture of the head up there now, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, that is what you think on. You block out the bad stuff. You pass over it. It is gone. God is a God from now on. And he says, begin thinking on these things that are good, admirable, worthy, excellent. Because why? Verse 9, he says, because I've learned something. He says, I have learned and received what you have learned and received from me. He says, put it into practice. These things. This is what I do to overcome everything that happens to me. You do it also. Put this into practice. Think on these things. If you do, what does the last part of verse 9 say? The God of peace will be with you. There's a second time will has been given. Those are promises. This is another point of truth. God has all of the answers. I don't understand those situations. I don't understand how to be thankful and praiseworthy but he says do it trust me and if you do i will that is a solemn promise from the god of heaven to you and i doubled to expand upon that that i will do this thing for you i promise if you follow me in christ jesus and think on what's good and not what's on bad and not what your circumstances are and not what your situation is but if you will trust in me in those times 
I will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. I promise you. And this is written down for all eternity. It cannot be erased. It can't be shaken. It is a promise from the God of heaven for us to stand upon. He said, I know. I know. I have learned. You've got to learn and you've got to know and you've got to accept. And he says, I will. And it's a promise. I will guard your heart and mind. I will be with you. And then he goes on to say, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. I can. And then he said, the God of peace. You want peace? Do you want peace of mind? Do you want peace of life? Guess who's the God of peace? Jehovah Elohim, the God of heaven. He is the God of peace. And he says, I'm the God of peace. You trust in me. If you do what I have just explained to you, I will provide that for you. Now, we have another huge point of doctrine here. Joseph has told these men, interpretations belong to God. Then he says, tell me your dreams. And when he says that, what he's doing is checking their volition, their desire, their, as uh, Jeff Foxworthy would say, their ought to. You know, you ought to? Do you want to follow God? Then tell me your dream. He is checking that because there is a truth here that is really deep. The big point is this. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You can tell a person over and over and over again what's right, what's best, what's good for you, and until they desire to accept it, it will do you no good. That is true. So many people bring their family members to people that they think can help them in whatever way. Help my son, help my daughter, help my husband, my wife, my friend. It will do them no good until they desire it themselves. The prodigal son was out in the wilderness and the father desired him to be back with him. But the key word in that whole parable is this. When he came to himself. You have to be ready to accept the truth. To accept help. And it does nobody any good. So he is now putting the pressure back to them. Interpretations belong to God. There's a reason for everything. Are you willing to accept his word? If so, tell me your dream. And I will tell you what God has to say about that. For us in our life, you have to be willing to accept the truth. You have to be willing and desiring to look in that direction. If you don't look in that direction, you cannot accept it. He says, tell me the situation. Now, verse 9. Next slide. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. You see, he was ready for help. This showed his volition and his desire to be helped. So he begins to tell him the dream. And he said to Joseph, In my dream, I saw a vine go out in front of me. 
And on the vine, there was three branches. And as soon as it budded, it blossomed. And its clusters ripened into grapes. And then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. This is what it means. Three branches are three days. And in three days, Pharaoh is going to lift up your head. And what that means is, is that he's going to bring you to attention. And he's going to be mindful of you and to talk with you. Because there's a psalm that talks about how that I cried out to, with my voice and the Lord heard me. He's the one who lifts up my head. He's the one who brings me up. When you approached a king, you did so at, in bowing down. And the king had the choice of either having them slice your neck off or he would take his scepter and put it under your chin and raise your head up so that you could look at him. And that was acceptance. And here on this one, it's an acceptance of good. And he says he's going to lift your head up. And he's going to restore you back to your place. He says, remember, whenever you do this, whenever you are restored, remember me. Remember and show me kindness and mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I didn't do anything wrong to be cast and deserve to be in this dungeon. And that word there for dungeon is the cistern. It's the underground area of holding. And the title for this lesson today was right back where he started from. That was the old uh, Maxine Nightingale song, going to get right back to where we started from. And that's what this reminded me. He started in a cistern in the wilderness. He's been elevated twice, and he's back down where he started from again, and he's not getting dejected. Now, after this good word, after the first guy was ready to receive help from God, I'm thinking the baker was kind of holding off. He was representing the other folk. He was representing the ones who don't get the message. They don't desire it. They're not going to listen. And he was still sitting back. But he listened to what was read to the other one. And now all of a sudden, he is ready to accept the word. Now listen to him in verse uh, 16. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. So now he's ready. He's ready for his thing. And the interpretation thereof. So he said on my head there was three baskets of bread. In the top basket there was all kinds of baked goods. In the, but the birds kept eating them out of the basket that was on the top of my head. Wow. What this means. Now here comes the word of God for this guy. Joseph said three baskets are three days. And in three days this time Pharaoh is going to lift up your head. But he's going to read you. A not so good message. He's going to impale your body up on a pole. And the birds are going to eat the flesh off of your bones. Oh, I bet that wasn't what he expected after the cupbearer. <laughs> wow. But you know what? Here is another interpretation from the word of God that he gave to these two men. It has a great application as I was meditating upon this. What a great application, not only to myself as a minister, but to each one of us in our daily walk of life with people out in this world. You have to tell the truth. 
especially when it comes to God's word. You know what it was like to look this man in the eye after you gave the favorable word to the cupbearer and to look this man in the eye and say, in three days, buddy, they're going to put you on a pole and you're going to hang there so long that the birds have a chance to eat all your flesh. You know how tough it was to look at him and tell him that? We are challenged by God Almighty to not sugarcoat his word. You know that? Not to change the truth, not to sugarcoat it. I was thinking on frosted flakes, you know. If you take the truth and you turn it into frosted flakes instead of cornflakes, you might be like Tony the Tiger and go, That's great! But you walk away lost. You walk away with not what's good for you, but you got a bunch of sugar and not what was good for you. You've got to have the truth of the word. And as I was reflecting upon that, that's a challenge to me to always stay within the truth even when it hurts. Even when you don't want to deliver that type of message, you have to. But the same thing with us in daily walks of life. If your boss, if your friend, if your family member asks you something, tell them the truth. And if they don't have Jesus Christ... They need to know the truth. You don't want them to be lost eternally like the baker here in this picture represents. So give them the truth whether they like it or not. Don't sugarcoat the message and give it to them. You are going to be given this result. Here's the second thing I got from it. Not only was it an uncomfortable thing to do, but just think about if he had sugarcoated it. What would have happened down the road? How would the dominoes have fallen? Okay, you're the cupbearer. Here in three days, you're going to be standing before Pharaoh. In two years, Pharaoh's going to have a dream. Joseph's going to be called upon to interpret that dream because he told the truth to both men. If he had lied to the second man and said, oh, everything's going to be fine too, just like the first guy is... As the guards come in and drag him away, he would have said, You lied to me. You didn't tell me the truth, and look what happened to me. Joseph hadn't told the truth. He had never had the chance to stand before Pharaoh because that cupbearer would not have stuck his neck out for him, pun intended. He would not have stuck his neck out for Joseph when he's batting 50-50. He made good on one, but he missed the other one, and I'm not sticking my neck out for him. Joseph, without telling the truth, would have never went before Pharaoh. And by never going before Pharaoh, famine would have hit his family. They would have perished out there. There would be no Messiah through that lineage. And you and I would still be lost in our sins today as well, if he had not told the truth. Do you see how much road upon telling the truth and not sugarcoating it? Wow. Same message applies today then for us. You know, I I took this on a different spin than most people do because this is what came to me as I was studying this. These two guys kind of represent both sides of the line, don't they? Saved and lost, really, in this story. It's an analogous to that. Romans chapter 3, if we go to the next slide, guys. 
makes a couple points very plain to us. Romans 3.10 says that there is not one of us who on our own accord is righteous. No, not one of us. Romans 3.23 will tell us all have sinned and we've come short of the glory of God. So therefore, we are all imprisoned like all three of these men were until you find a Savior. They were all in the same place. One came out for good and one came out for bad in this story. And that's the next two verses of Romans. Because after that it says, You have sinned, you have failed, but we are justified freely by His grace through redemption that comes by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as the sacrifice as the atonement for sin through the shedding of his blood to be received by you and I through faith. All of us are imprisoned, but you can know the truth and the truth can set you free. It's to be received by faith in Christ Jesus. And that word there is atonement. It means his blood completely covers me inside and out. The word when Noah built his ark and it says that he pitched it within and without. The Hebrew word for pitched it is atoned. It was pitched within and without. And it went through all the difficulties of the flood and brought them through to life. Peter says this same anti-type is those as in the days of Noah when few, that is in eight souls, were saved through water. The like figure doth now also represent baptism for us. That it's not the washing away of the filth of the flesh. You're not taking a bath, but it's the answer of a good conscience towards God. That's how you become justified freely and atoned. And when you do that, you are like the ark that was pitched within and without that atonement cleanses you totally from within, without, and you persevere and you make it through to the other side. And that's what happens through Christ Jesus in all of this. You walk in a newness of life. If during this life you have made that confession of faith in Christ Jesus, you receive by His magnificent grace redemption and atonement. And I have to level with you all as well. There's bad news just like Joseph had good news and bad news. On the other side of that picture. For those who never want to believe the truth. And reject it about Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Then there is an interpretation for your dream or your life as well from the word of God. God has an interpretation for that too. And it's in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. If we go to the next slide, Ben, I should have, that's a lesson for me. I got to start using white on those dark backgrounds. Looks good on the computer screen. Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. This is like the baker's sentence, but this is to people who don't accept Christ Jesus and walk with him. I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence. There was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book 
was opened, which is the book of life. But the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that was in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is a second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. That is the interpretation of the dream of life for us. There are books and then there's one book. Those who accept Christ Jesus, who are redeemed, who are atoned, who are washed, are written now in the Lamb's book of life. You don't get your other book opened of your life. You know why? Praise God. You know why? Because it says as a promise from God, my life is hid in Christ Jesus. You know what hid means? To be covered. To be atoned. I am atoned through Christ Jesus and I am covered. And when I stand there, he's going to go, book of life. We're not opening your book. Oh, praise God. But then if your name's not in the book of life, you know what you stand upon? The book of your works. Next slide, guys. Verse 12 said that they are judged according to what they had done, also recorded in the books. The ones in the book of life are said, your life is hid, atoned, covered in Christ Jesus. Go to the right. The rest of you, I've got some books to open up that is your life. I don't know about you, but I don't want my book opened. I know what's in that book. And I cannot stand upon what's in that book before God. I can't. So I want my life hid in Christ Jesus. I don't want to have to stand in front of that. When I stand in the presence of God, I want my life hid. I want my name added to that book. But otherwise, I'm going to have to stand there in front of all of the rest of the people and before God and the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And they're going to examine me like that, just like an x-ray. It says that the Word of God can lay bare, opening up, even discerning through the joints and the marrow. The thoughts and the intents even of your heart, it says. Even the intents. I don't want that book open. Praise God, I want it hid in Christ. So as the worship team comes on up. Before God today, I have tried to share with you the truth. Good and bad. And sometimes it hurts to talk about the bad. But decisions we make. Acceptance, what is my frame of reference towards God and towards His Word and towards truth? Am I willing to accept it or am I going to continue to reject it? Am I going to be a cupbearer or a baker? The choice is ours to make. I sure hope that you choose life. I hope that you choose Christ Jesus. If you are here and you have not, or if you are here and your, your mental 
being towards him and his word and his instruction is, is in rebellion and not in acceptance, I pray that when you leave from here today, that it doesn't stay that way. I pray that right now, that you would make it right so that your name is in the Lamb's book of life and that you will abide with Him. Your life is hid and you will be redeemed and you will live for eternity. That cupbearer spent the rest of his life by the king's side serving him. You make that choice. You stand beside the king of kings for all eternity in life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and this story and so much that we can glean about life and about truth from it. And Father, I pray that we are challenged by it and I pray that we're more than challenged, but I pray that we will accept, act, and do so that we can be with you in Jesus' name. Amen.
about you. Merci. 